You are listening to the What's After Church podcast, providing support for those leaving church and sharing connection, resources, and strategy with those reimagining faith for the good of all creation. I'm Jason, and thanks for joining me today. Does God want you to leave the church? What is God's will about whether or not you attend church? Now, before we get started, let me share a warning about this podcast. If you're being abused or hurt in any way by the church, then it's time to get out. If you're experiencing psychological, emotional, physical, sexual, or spiritual abuse from church leaders or participants, it's time to find safety and healing. When I talk about discerning whether to stay or leave, I'm assuming the absence of abuse. If abuse is present, find a way to get out. Now, Does God want you to leave your church? Deciding whether or not to leave the church is often painful, complex, and a very lonely decision. How does one choose the right thing to do or the next step to take? When I worked for a church, I would often plan weekend conferences with guest speakers, times for personal reflection, relationship building, and breakout sessions. It was always interesting to see which breakout opportunities would get the largest attendance. If there was a class on knowing God's will, it would often be the most popular. I would wonder why there was so much interest in knowing God's direction. I mean, it could be something about our demographic or the church that we attend, or maybe it was the personality of people who love to attend conferences. As I talked with individuals about their journey, and spoke with other pastors, there was a consistent theme. Most everyone sincerely wants to know how to live their life, how to make a decision, and how to get it right. I'd hear questions like, what degree does God want me to pursue in college? Is it God's will for me to take this new job offer or to stay with my existing company? What is God's will for my kids, or how should I parent them? Or, after my mother's death, I feel lost. What does God want me to do? Does God want me to stay with this person or in the relationship? What is God's will for how I spend my money? The questions were numerous, but it was always about how to know God's will and get it right. I've seen several approaches to answering these questions and to finding a quick process for discerning God's will. One of them was, what is the most personal gain? With this approach, the best option is the one that has the most perceived benefit for my life. The rationale is that God loves me, wants the best for me, and is looking to bless me. If a decision increases my life, then God must be in it. However, this assumes that I can predict the future and what decision will benefit me. A decision may look good, but we may find it disastrous when we experience the consequences. Another approach to discerning God's will is what I want. Closely related to personal gain is choosing based on which option I want. Supporters of this approach like the verse that God will give you the desires of your heart, Psalms 37 verse 4. So they encourage going after what you want. How many times have you wanted something, though, to find out afterward it was harmful? What I desire often gets distorted by what I see others wanting and my attachment to comfort and pleasure. Another approach to discerning God's will is which option is most sacrificial. 
This approach is motivated by the Bible verses on giving up one's life to follow God. If a decision significantly costs us, then it must please God. Therefore, personal sacrifice is the best option. Some decisions do cost us, but there is a sadistic approach to seeking out the most painful opportunity. Another approach is, what do I not want? This is closely related to the sacrificial approach. I remember this one coming up in my youth group. Kids would think of something that they would hate, and then they would say they would do it for God. Like, I don't want to be a missionary in a foreign country, but if that's what God wants, then I'll do it. Or, I don't want to be single for life, but I will for God. There was something heroic or appealing in our claims to indicate that we were all in, no matter the cost. Another approach I've seen used to discern God's will is a list of pros and cons. You know, the list that many of us have made where we create two columns on a sheet of paper and we try to categorize everything related to the decision. If the negatives outweigh the benefit, we avoid the decision, but we move forward if there are more perceived advantages. Kind of like the what do I want option, this assumes that we know all the outcomes to our decision. Then one of the more interesting options for discerning God's will is what I'll call the Bible lottery. This is when you take the Bible ask God a question, and then open the Bible to a random page and point your finger to a verse to see what it reveals. This comes from the idea that God controls all things and will control where your finger lands. I had individuals tell me that this led to the right decision, but I had many others tell me that it was fruitless or the wrong decision. I remember a pastor one time joking that someone using this method came up with bizarre results. Someone asked God what they should do today, and they opened their Bible and placed their finger on Exodus 4.25, which says, Then Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet. Startled by this passage, the individual decided to try again. This time their finger landed on Luke 10.37, which ends, Go and do likewise. Horrified, they quickly picked another passage, John 13.27, which ends, What you must do? do quickly. Luckily, they did not follow through on this idea. You know, there's probably a little truth in each of these methods, but they're not complete in and of themselves. Following any one of these methods without wisdom will open us up to blind spots, unhealthy attachments, and bad ideas. Now, growing up in the church, I was taught in Sunday school class that there was four main methods for determining God's will. I would find God's will through the Bible, prayer, wise counsel, or circumstances. We can define direction in each of these, but these four do not address every single scenario. See, the Bible is useful when it speaks directly to a topic. For instance, if I'm trying to decide whether or not to murder someone, the Bible reminds me not to kill. But when choosing between two jobs with great bosses and organizations, The Bible does not explicitly address the issue. And in prayer, many have sensed a direction in prayer, but many have not. And of course, wise counsel. I love seeking wise counsel, but sometimes they're as clueless as me. And what they would do is not right for me. And then yes, circumstances sometimes force us into decisions, but what if we only go off our circumstances? Who would ever push through to a more extraordinary ending? So, if the Bible, prayer, 
and wise counsel, circumstances do not cover it, then what do we do? In the history of the early church, we find a couple of examples. The Apostle Paul was traveling from village to village, sharing the good news of God's love, and he wrote, When I came to Traus for the good news of Christ, and when a door was opened to me in the Lord, I had no relief for my spirit, because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went out to Macedonia. The circumstances for his mission were right, but he had no relief in his spirit. There was an uneasy feeling on the inside, and Paul decided to move on in his journey. In another instance, the early church was deciding whether or not to include non-Jewish individuals and if they should make them follow Jewish customs. Up to this point, most of Jesus' followers and those involved with the church, in the church were Jewish. When the decision was made to welcome them and not require Jewish traditions, the church leaders wrote to them and said, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to, to lay no greater burden on you. This time, we see a peaceful feeling to move forward with the decision. In both instances, it was the discernment of their feelings and what was stirring inside their spirit that led them to God's direction. In Jesus' last teaching with his followers, he said, I still have many more things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are coming. So Jesus said after he is gone, he indicates that God's Spirit will instruct his followers on what they need to know. Now, picking up on this theme, the Apostle Paul also writes a lot about God in you or being God's dwelling place in multiple places. He states, Do you not know? that you yourselves are the temple of God and that God's Spirit lives in you? The Apostle John similarly shared that God's Spirit is in us and teaches us how to live and follow. He wrote, As for you, the anointing you receive from Jesus remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not as counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. If God's Spirit is in me and communicates with my spirit, or God's Spirit and my spirit are the same things, how do I discern my spirit? Simply put, I listen to my feelings. See, it turns out that the one thing that the church told me not to follow, my feelings, is the place where we discern the Spirit of God. Do we sometimes get it wrong? And can feelings be misleading? Yes. But this is the process of discernment. We grow in our ability to listen to the Spirit when we lay aside our attachments to the outcome and listen to what is deep and most true within ourselves. When we reflect upon our interior movements and how we have experienced God, we understand how the Spirit works in our life. Now, luckily, not all Christians have lived in fear of their feelings. St. Ignatius lived in the 16th century and co-founded a Catholic religious order called the Society of Jesus. It's also known as the Jesuits. The Jesuits have taught and written extensively about discernment and understanding our interior movement and recognizing what they call consolations and desolations in the journey. 
See, consolations is a state when we are moving towards God's presence and a deep sense of goodness. We are opening ourselves to more of God's grace and hope. When we experience the life and abundance of God, this is a consolation. These feelings lift our heart and allow us to focus beyond ourselves and give a more profound sense of peace and internal freedom. There's a growing sense of wholeness, authenticity, and unity with self and God. It is a place that releases new energy and creativity and leads to loving ourselves and others well. Now, desolation is a state when we're moving away from God's presence and a sense that is and it is a sense that something is wrong. We begin to close ourselves to love and experience uneasiness, fear, and resistance. We turn in on ourselves and we lose sight of others. It is a place that drains energy and leads us away from loving others and ourselves well. Now, like any skill, the practice of discernment is developed over time and it requires intention. As you struggle with whether or not to leave the church, here are some ideas for moving forward. First, self-care. Leaving a church, even for the best reasons, can be challenging and draining. Please give yourself a lot of grace and ensure that you're taking care of yourself. Are you engaging in any habits or practices that are life-giving, calming, or energizing? If not, what's a small step you could take to invest in your well-being and refreshment? I find it easier to evaluate my heart's interior movements when I'm rested, calm, and experiencing gratitude in my life. And that leads us to the second thing, is gratitude. It's easy for me to get closed in on myself and become negative in the face of hard decisions. Gratitude becomes key for keeping a healthy and positive approach. As I practice gratitude, I'm amazed at how my perspective changes and how I experience hope. No matter how hard the struggle Is there a place where you can find something you are grateful for and find ways to express it today? So the third thing is curiosity. Get curious about what God is up to and what may be stirring on the inside of you. Asking questions about the journey can lead to new insights. Have you sensed the Spirit's movement in the past? Are there any themes around how you have grown in discernment? Are there any places in your life where you're experiencing consolations of God's goodness and love? Or are you experiencing desolations, the absence of God's goodness, or the presence of resistance? Are there feelings that you have stuffed or ignored? What might they reveal to you? As you look back, how might the divine be present in your day? The fourth thing is listening. As you ask questions, take time to listen. I find that I'm more likely to listen when I slow down and give myself space. I need time for silence and solitude, for the noise in my head and heart to settle, allowing me to hear below the surface of my busyness. What helps you to slow down? See beyond the clutter of the day and listen deeply to your heart. And then lastly is trust. We're often told not to trust our feelings or inner voice. But what if that is what you need to do? What would it look like to trust what is stirring in you? And how might you take action on what you hear? 
As you continue the journey, may you experience more of what gives you life. May you be able to settle deep within yourself, eliminate the hurry and noise, and listen to what is authentically you. May you experience the overwhelming gratitude that leads to life-giving joy. And may you see glimpses of the divine in your day. May you have a great sense of the Spirit's leading and the boldness to take the next step in that direction. Thank you for listening to the What's After Church podcast. I'd love to hear from you at whatsafterchurch.com. If you have not subscribed, please do so to stay up to date on new resources and connection opportunities. Until next time, may you experience more of what gives you life, and may you see the light in all people and reveal the light in you. Peace and love.